we are um, picking up in Philippians chapter 3. And I, I just I just pray that God begins or has been opening your heart just a deeper revelation uh, every day. Every time I open up the word, I, I pray, God, just show me a new glimpse of who you are. You know, if we don't get a new glimpse of God in his word and in our prayer time and in our fellowship, um, life becomes drudgery, life becomes heavy, and yet it is when we uh, have a revelation of who he is that, that there becomes a new strength, a new joy, and that is the source of our joy that we're going to look at uh, tonight. So let's um, read through it, and we're going to read straight through the whole thing, and then we'll Come back and break it down. Uh, so we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 11. So chapter 3, verse 1 to 11. Um, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We'll just not, we are going to read it all the way through, but that is our key thing right there. Rejoice in the Lord. Let that sink in. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself... I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have even more. This is Paul speaking of himself. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul brings us back to verse 1, and he says, Finally, out of all these principles that we've been reading, all of these things that he has been showing us, uh, and now he brings it into this one statement, Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, he's saying it is so easy. It's so easy to rejoice in a lot of other things. It's so easy to rejoice in things that catch our attention, that kind of strike against our senses, because we are kind of 
um, because of sin and living in this broken world, we, we are so held to the things that we feel and, and the things that um, uh, satisfy uh, our touch and our sight and our taste and our smell and our, our hearing, uh, those things that please us and, and they, they kind of um, uh, temporarily uh, catch our attention. Paul understands that. It is so easy to rejoice in those things. And he's not saying that those things are bad. But what he is saying is we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord. The source of our joy needs to be the Lord. He needs to be the central core source of our joy. And when we rejoice in the Lord, then all these other things become uh, even greater blessings in our life. We know that Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things are added unto you. God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy, you know, the pleasure of friends. He wants you to enjoy music and laughter and food and fun. Those are good things. But those are things that God gives us after we have sought first the kingdom of God. When we rejoice in the Lord, when we truly find joy in knowing God, then all the other things become depth. They become add-ons and blessings and riches that, that we can enjoy in a deeper way. So this is our key thing. Rejoice in the Lord. Is the Lord the source of our joy? Now, we say that. And especially as Christians, and, and most of us listening and here would, would claim to be Christians. And so, you know, it's so easy to fall into that superficial, that, that yeah, I love the Lord. And we would all say that. We love the Lord and he is my joy. But yet, if we are really honest with ourselves, we fall into the, the kind of unknowing pattern that really we, there's a separation there's kind of our, our spiritual life, and then there is our real life where we really enjoy those other things. And those other things, if we ever lose them, and this is kind of a sign of whether joy, where the Lord was really our joy or not, as soon as we lose those things, our life falls apart. We, we start griping and complaining, and, and, and you want to ask, well, I thought you said the joy came from the Lord, right? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. When we start to experience the heaviness of life, we need to ask ourselves, this is what David said in the Psalms. He looked at himself and he said, soul, why are you so down? Right? Remember David even looked at himself, why are you so cast down? Uh, because I have forgotten that the Lord is my source. And so we all fall into that. So don't just say it quickly. Yes, I, I love the Lord. We need to consciously begin to constantly be doing inventory. Have I fallen into where my real joy is in my family? My real joy is in this activity. My real joy is in the satisfaction of my job. The real joy is in the, we need to be very careful because those things very slowly begin to creep in and put roots into our heart and they become our treasure. And this is why Paul is reminding us we need to rejoice in the Lord. That's why almost every day we need to reconfirm that in ourselves. I will rejoice in the Lord today. The Lord is going to be my happiness. No matter what happens today, 
I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost expecting it. When it goes bad, the enemy wants me to lose my joy. I'm not going to do that because I may lose everything else, but the, my joy is the Lord. So this is what Paul is telling us. So here's what he says. Next, he says, you need to realize that even though we rejoice in the Lord, we are all, we are all flesh. And so he says, look out for three things. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's using these people as examples. He says, don't be like these people. Now, um, I, I kind of look at it this way. When you think of who is he talking about? The dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. It sounds like a Halloween movie coming up, right? Uh, uh, a horror movie. Watch out for those people. Um, and yet it, it's really kind of this. Think of it this way, and I'll, I'll give some explanation. It's kind of like the good, the bad, the ugly. We all fall into one of those three categories. Good, bad, and then the ugly. Um, uh, that is what Paul is talking about. Um, now, first of all, um, uh, there's let, let, he starts kind of with the bad. He says, watch out for the dogs. These are the bad people, okay? Um, they're the ones that maybe don't know the Lord. Now, we understand them that, that you know, they would put their joy in the world, but, but they're not necessarily evildoers, okay? They're, they're bad, and the word dogs there, uh, the Jewish people use that term for most anyone that wasn't a Jew. So anyone that was, you know, like the the Samaritans or the Greeks or the Romans, uh, they called them dogs. Um, and it, now many times it was meant to be a, a derogatory term because uh, the Israelites had fallen into a place of very uh, self-righteousness, arrogance, thinking everyone. And it, but it simply meant those that did not know the Lord. Because, see, they were the Jews. We know the Lord. The Lord has given us his law. He has revealed himself to us. So the dogs are those that are not living for the Lord. But they could have been normal people. They just weren't Jews. So they were considered bad. In other words, it's like us. Maybe we see them as the unsaved. They're not Christians, um, so they don't know the Lord. And so they find their joy in the world, in just all the things of life. But Paul is saying, beware of that. Um, don't put your joy... In the things of the world, just like these that don't know the Lord, they don't know any better. So they pursue things in the world that give them joy and give them happiness. Um, and it does give them that temporarily. But it, we're going to look at this uh, in a second. It, it never satisfies. But not only the bad, but then there's even the evildoers, not those that just don't know the Lord. Because how many know we know people that don't know the Lord that are good people. They just don't know the Lord. Um, uh, but then there are those that are the evildoers. Uh, Paul says, watch out for them because you know what? They get, they get joy. They get joy from, from enjoying the sin. Not only do they just live life and they just don't realize that they're sinners. Then there's those that, that enjoy doing what's wrong. We need to be careful for that. Um, and, and we can fall into that uh, with people that we know. We get into that crowd and, and they revel in those things. They like to be a rebel. Um, we're seeing it in our world today uh, with all the violence. 
um, uh, with all the disrespect of other people. They just don't care what people, we're just going to do our own thing and enjoy. These are the evildoers that they actually enjoy doing wrong. And uh, Paul is saying, be careful. If your joy is in doing wrong, how great is your blindness and your darkness. And, and so these are the ugly. Um, but we might say, I would never do that. But how many times, and we all have to repent, there's areas in our life that maybe no one knows about. There's those secret sins that, that we enjoy. We need to be careful. That's ugly. That is just as ugly as people that, that do it out in front of everyone. Uh, those that are out getting drunk and partying and, and say, don't tell me what, you know, that's just as, what about, what about our hatred that we keep within or our criticism or those things that are just as ugly that we find joy? They actually, you know, self-pity. Sometimes we, we warm ourselves by the fire of those things. Paul says, be careful. Don't find your joy in the, in the lure of sin, the lure of evil. But then finally, we've looked at the bad and the ugly. And yes, mutilators of the flesh are the good. And I said, why is he calling? He's referring to the Jews themselves. And he's using this term because he's talking to many in the church are, are uh, uh, Gentiles. And he's saying, these are those who get their joy from religion from being good. They think they're being good. And the reason he calls them mutilators of the flesh, it's because it was the Jews who would say they're Christians, but they said, if you're a Christian, but you still need to follow all the law of the, the, the uh, Torah. And so it includes being circumcised and following all those things. And so Paul calls them the mutilators of the flesh because they demanded that the Gentiles get circumcised if they were going to call themselves Christians. And Paul says, no, if they believe in Christ and they're not Jews, they do not need uh, to uh, follow the same uh, uh, rituals to be saved. And so our joy is not in the functions that we surround ourselves of religion. And, and so uh, it is not being good is not where we find our joy. And so we need to be careful in that that we ourselves, as the church, can sometimes uh, rejoice in our goodness, uh, just like the Pharisees did. And Jesus said, you know, you notice the Pharisees who say, oh, thank God I'm not like those, those dogs. Thank God I'm not like those evildoers. And yet God says, you are just as bad because you are rejoicing in your so-called goodness and your religion, and your church going, and your, your rituals that you go through, and that cannot be the source of our joy. So it's the good, bad, or ugly, and we're, we're part of one of those groups, all of us. Um, uh, we, are, we are part of the church, we are those outside the church, and there are those that, that are just uh, wicked, uh, lost in their sin. Now, if you go farther down, in chapter 3 uh, to verse 17. So we're going to steal this from next week. He says, Join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example. For many, I have told you, and now he's referring back to those that we just talked about, 
many of them uh, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So he's talking about the good, the bad, the ugly are walking as enemies of Christ. If our joy is in any of those things, we are enemies of Christ. Because this is what he says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things. Here's the sign. When we are not rejoicing the Lord, it is when our God is our belly. That means the things that we feel, we satisfy ourselves with the things of this world. And if we are living for just those things, our end is destruction. It says that, that the end result is not going to be joy. The end result is going to be destruction. It says they glory in their shame. The things that they are glorying, the things that they love, their activities, their parties, their friends, those things that they do without any regard for Christ. When Christ is not the source of what they're doing, it says that they are glorying in their shame. Those things that are good are going to be their shame in the end. In the end, they're going to look back in their life and they are going to be ashamed of what they did. There are going to be Christians that are going to look back at their their religious life and they're going to be ashamed because they were going through the motions. Now, I'm not saying not to be religious, but we're talking about when it is just superficial, when it is not because of a passion for God. We are shame, we are glorying in our shame. And the end will be our destruction. So Paul says, be careful of anything that becomes your source of joy. So what should we do? Here's what he says. Uh, first of all, he lets you know that I'm not putting you down because he says, I of all people have been there and done that. He says, I have been a Jew of Jews. I was a Pharisee. I loved the law, and I was blameless in it, and I rejoiced in it. And in fact, he said, I felt so good because I was also one of the ugly ones. I persecuted the church. So Paul is saying, I've been all three. I've been good, bad, and ugly. But he says, here's the thing. This is the decision that we have to make. He says, I have decided that everything else that I had, everything I had, meant nothing. He said, I count it as loss. In other words, I have determined that Jesus is more precious than anything I can get from this world. Knowing Jesus is better than winning every competition that I've play in. Uh, Knowing Jesus is better than than experiencing the greatest thrills that I can uh, go participate in. Uh, Knowing Jesus is better than all the times that I can spend with my friends and laugh and enjoy. It means nothing because those all end up with me being ashamed. But here's the thing he says. But there is an exceeding great knowledge of Christ. He says, I determine that I'm going to count everything lost compared to the knowledge 
of Christ, that I may gain Christ. We have got to come to that place where maybe we just say, God, begin to show me the greatness of your love. And this is why Paul prays for the churches over and over. He says, I pray that you would begin to know the love of Christ. I pray that God somehow will open your heart and you will begin to see that that all the things in this world are not the source of your life. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do that, but until you put God first and until you gain Christ, then all of those things are going to pull you away. But when you begin to fall in love with Christ, he says, it is an exceedingly great knowledge. You see, when I know Christ, nothing else can even compare. Now we have to grow in that. It is something that 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 we naturally do not do because our flesh pulls us away, but the more that we seek it, and this is what Jesus said, he who seeks and keeps on seeking, he who knocks and keeps on knocking, he who asks and keeps on asking, he will find. You see, when we get tired of this world, get tired of just the circle of life just getting us nowhere, and we just find ourselves, and, and, and I even talk to the teenage, aren't you tired of, of going through the, the motion of, you know, I do this, and then my parents get mad at me, and then I get in trouble. I got to do my homework, but I never, and you never accomplish anything. I want to tell you, God has something that he can make all of those things much greater when you seek him. And us as adults, I'm telling you, it's the same thing. We go through our jobs, and then we get tired of our kids uh, annoying us, and we are in the same thing. He's saying, begin to ask God for something greater. Begin to knock on the door uh, of, of God. Begin to seek him, and he will reveal a greater joy, a greater life, a greater meaning for what you're doing, so that when you do have those times of family time and friends time, they mean so much more because you're not doing them for yourself. You're doing them for the Lord. You're seeking God, and you're letting God give those to you. This is what he says. When you know Jesus, when you know Jesus, that means spending time in the Word to get to know Him, spending time in prayer and meditation. Sometimes you don't even know what to pray. When I say spend time in prayer, you know, people say, I don't know what to pray. Just begin to think on Him and just begin to, just to, to, to seek Him. Pour your heart out to Jesus and, and begin to, to let the Word of God just speak through you. Talk to him. You begin to know him. Um, as we begin to, to join together in fellowship and worship and, and let those things sink in, I'm telling you, it begins to soften our heart and open up new areas that God reveals himself to us. Because you see, God has to reveal himself to us. It's not something that we can do. But you have to be willing to let him. This is the paradox. It's nothing you can do but God somehow has given us the choice to let him in or not. When you seek him, he will answer. Here's three things that we get when we know Christ. First of all, 
He says, everything else is rubbish. First of all, that I may gain Christ. The first thing you learn, the word Christ there is Messiah. Um, uh, it's just the Greek name for the Hebrew word of Messiah. When you know Christ, you receive someone who redeems you, who loves you enough to deliver you. There is a freedom. Uh, Messiah was someone who will set us free. Um, uh, the first thing, when you know Christ, this is the great thing, you begin to know a greater freedom. But what kind of, it does not a freedom, now many people say freedom means I can do whatever I want. If I know Christ, I can't do whatever I want. Well, thank God you can't do whatever. Freedom does not mean autonomy. We come sometimes think it's the same. Freedom does not mean I can do whatever I want. Freedom means that I am within a boundary of, of protection and nurturing. And within that boundary, I am free. I am free from uh, uh, the feelings that I need to defend myself. Uh, I am free from, from having to uh, uh, win every argument. Uh, in fact, there's a quote that I put on my Facebook that uh, Tim Keller put there, that the true freedom in Christ is freedom from having to, to earn your own future, um, your freedom from having to work your fingers to the bone to be good enough, you're free from that. It's not about what you can do, but you are free to be able to serve. You are free uh, to uh, know the protection of love that God surrounds you with his boundary, that you have been chosen. And the word redeemed uh, means that God uh, has saw value in you, that you are valued and you are uh, uh, set free from the, the brokenness that sin has brought in our life. So there is freedom. First of all, in knowing Jesus, there is freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame of things that you were ashamed of, that we all have things in our heart, yet we are free of that. Uh, you are free from worrying about messing up. Because when we do mess up, we have someone who is there that says, it's okay, let me show you. And he works with us. He doesn't condemn us, but he actually teaches us to do better. See, that's freedom. Not that I can do whatever I want, but that I become a better person. But not only freedom, he says that I may gain Christ or the Messiah, but he says, and I am found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says, not only do I receive a Messiah, someone who loves me and has set me free, but I receive a righteousness. Now, what is a righteousness? Righteousness is living up to a standard. It is basically like right living. Living in the way that you are found to be perfectly right. Okay? And, and whatever standard that you are trying to meet, and of course, biblically, we're trying to meet the standard of God. And we cannot live good enough to meet the standard of God. And yet when we know Christ, 
it says that we are given his righteousness. In other words, we can come into a relationship with God based on who Christ is. This is what we gain. We get, we get to have a relationship with God as if we were perfectly right with his character, with who God is. We can walk with him. We can talk with him without being fearful, uh, without being afraid of, of, of uh, consequences because of the righteousness of Christ. We get the relationship that Christ has with God. Now you think of Jesus throughout all eternity. Jesus has been in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit. So righteousness is equal to that relationship. We get the relationship of Jesus with God the Father. We don't get our own relationship where we have to create our own You are looked on with the Father the same way that Christ was looked on by him. We get that relationship. The creator of the universe, the one who is going to create a new world, who is getting everything set, we are in that relationship with him when we know him. How much greater is that than any time that we can spend in this world with our friends or with everything else? That I am friends with God. We used to sing that song all the time. I'm a friend of God. I think we sing it so that, you know, you get some songs you sing so much that then you don't sing forever again because we just sing it out too much. But that is such a true statement. We are friends with God, not because I earned it, but because of Jesus. I look at an example. Um, my uh, fourth grade teacher was uh, uh, a, um, in fact, a, uh, uh, she was team teaching with my mom, Mrs. Davidson. And so we became very close, good friends uh, with her. And uh, when she had left the valley and moved back up, she was from L.A., um, her family, um, I, I believe it was her uncle, uh, was um, Norm Crosby. And many of you have never heard of him. He, he was an old actor. He was a, a comedian. Um, uh, he did a lot of commercials. You saw him on TV all the time. Um, uh, a rich guy, and he was her uncle. And so we're up seeing Miss Davidson. He says, "Oh, come with me, because it's it's my nephew's birthday." And so we're like, "Well, are you sure?" I mean, we don't know these. No, you're with me. And, and so we got to go. I don't. It was in Bel Air, or, you know, uh, 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 Beverly Hills, uh, into this mansion, and walked right in. They're having a birthday party. Norm Crosby. They're this you know, famous actor, and no, come in. You're just right. You're part of the family. And it was like, this was like, cool. We're never, we've never done this before. We're never going to live this way ever again. And talk with them, sit down, have you know, you know, cake and, and tea and everything. But it was because of not our relationship with him, but the relationship of of Miss Davidson. But because we knew her, she brought us in to that relationship where we experienced a life that we could have never had. That's what Jesus does with us, with God. And not just for a moment, but for eternity. That you, no, come on in. Jesus says, this is yours now. It doesn't matter that, that, that this is above who you are. 
because you're mine now. And so it is because of Christ that we are invited as family into the very throne room of God. And we are going to be living with God and in his relationship forever. We need to realize that the awesomeness of that and, and begin to understand that this is greater. Knowing Jesus is the greatest thing that I can have better than anything else. Everything else is nothing compared to that. And the final thing, not only do we have a Messiah that has set us free, has delivered us, we have um, uh, a, a righteousness uh, in God through faith in Jesus, but it says also that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Here's the great thing. When we know Jesus, you have resurrection power in your life. Now, resurrection power shows up in two ways. First of all, the first thing when you know Jesus, he has resurrected your spirit. You need to know that you have a new spirit. God has given you a new spirit within you uh, to be able to experience life in a new, fresh, clean way. Um, and, and if we will begin to embrace that, that is where the Holy Spirit begins to empower us um, uh, to see things in a new way, to begin to experience life in a new way, because there is a resurrection power to begin to face even the hardships of life, because we don't face it on our own. We are empowered by God who has overcome death. But not only in this life do we have resurrection power in our spirit, but there is coming a day. Paul says that even as I uh, uh, become like Jesus in his death, and we will all come to that point of death, that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Here's the, when we know Jesus, death has no power over us. We don't have to fear death because Jesus has overcome it. There is hope and life because when death comes our way, if we are walking with Christ, with our trust in him, enjoying him, it can come in a moment. There is no power. That is just simply a transition into the fullness of life for eternity because Jesus has given us power over death. There is no fear in death. It has no power over us. In fact, death is almost a, a, a friend to us because it brings us into the final presence of God, that we will never be hurt again. We will never sorrow again. Uh, we will begin to walk in the purposes that God has for us forever. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. When we think about what we gain when we know Jesus, can you rejoice in the Lord? Can you live your life rejoicing in the Lord, not in this world? No longer rejoicing. We can enjoy the world. It does not mean don't enjoy the world. But when you rejoice in the Lord and you make the Lord your Savior and you follow the Lord and you live to please the Lord, then the things of this world just become greater joys because they are only opportunities to please God. That as I enjoy the, the, the goodness of life, I am doing it in a way 
uh, that puts God first, that glorifies God. And in so doing, I actually receive more joy because instead of being ashamed at the end, I can stand before God and say, God, you are so good. And, and I lived for your glory. That when I'm with my friends, hopefully I can be a testimony to them. That even as we're laughing and enjoying the times with my friend, I, I, am, I am reflecting the love of God. And in so doing, I have greater joy. But we need to live to rejoice in the Lord. Do we count everything as loss compared to the knowledge of Jesus? If you do, I'm telling you, Jesus wants to step into your life and be your Messiah. He wants to give you freedom tonight. Maybe you've been, you've been bound by a sense of, of trying to achieve, of not being good enough, of I need more in life. I'm not satisfied with what I've got. I'm upset with everything. God wants to free you from that tonight. But it comes from knowing Jesus, that he is your Messiah. Maybe you have uh, uh, experienced life to where it just is kind of dull. God wants to bring you into a righteousness where you understand that you are walking with God. And not only walking with him, but in the power of his resurrection. God wants to give you resurrection life. Let's begin to rejoice in the Lord. And let that begin to overflow through us. Amen. Pray with me tonight.